Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Challoner. The podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating those people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. If you are in a leadership position yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, then please go to leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Each week on this programme, I'm joined by a different CEO, CFO, COO, director, secretary, chairman or president even to truly discover who those people are that get up every morning and make this country work. We get their take on the current economic and political landscape of the UK and discuss everything from managing through COVID-19 to slashing VAT and of course the success and innovation that makes all of their endeavour worthwhile in the end. My guest on the show today is Colette Osborne, who owns and directs the Hairven Salon Group based in Nottingham. She also heads up the Salon Owners United Group. The group represents thousands of hairdressers, barbers and beauticians all over the country who have been intermittently closed since last March following the introduction of COVID-19 lockdown restrictions in the UK. The group is actively involved in lobbying and petitioning government for a VAT cut similar to that seen in the hospitality industry on behalf of the wider sector. This lobbying is being done by a new subcommittee of the British Beauty Council under the hashtag ChopTheVat campaign slogan. Colette, very warm welcome to yourself today and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the programme. Hello Scott, thank you very much for having me. Um, Delighted to be here. It's but real, obviously, not any circumstances. So. Absolutely. It's been a very difficult year for the personal care industry, hasn't it? And even though there has, of course, been a great deal of praise over the previous 12 months for the Chancellor's business support measures, most notably, of course, the furlough scheme, as to be expected, there are gaps in that support, aren't there, which we can't overlook. And that's what we're going to be talking an awful lot about today. Um, one of those gaps was to introduce the VAT cut for the hospitality sector last year from 20% to 5%, but not to the personal care industry. And it's trying to get access to that 5% VAT, which is what the hashtag Chop the Vat campaign is all about, isn't it? So what is the current situation in the hospitality industry and why is this cut so important? Right, with regards to our sector, the personal care sector, um, basically the reason it's important is because well, to be honest, our industry is on its knees, Scott. I mean, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, it's busy, people come back to have all their personal care done, but they don't. We're under, we're under more restrictions than any other sector. Um, appreciate hospitality, you know, needs a cut as well, but we can't do take-out haircuts and we can't do take-out colours or beauty treatments. So we have kind of 49,000 businesses that if they don't get any assistance with this, we're looking at probably, we're looking at upwards of 40% going bust immediately by the end of March. Um, so it's absolutely critical to us. It's something that's already been given in devolved government in Northern Ireland. They've already had a cut. Um, and, you know, we are, a, we are predominantly a service-led industry. So, you know, we, I, all I can say is our industry is desperate for it, Scott. It's something that we absolutely need to save jobs and to save businesses. Um, there's quite a lot of gaps in our industry. We haven't been, um, you know, included in a lot of government aid grants. Mm. Our sector's been disclu- you know, basically excluded from quite a few of the government aid grant systems. We can't even get into the Kickstarter system to actually, you know, try and save people in our industry. Um, so the, the VAT element would potentially um, save probably around 20,000 salons from going bust. And I can imagine that the gaps are exacerbated by the fact that of those 49,000 salons that are out on UK high streets, not all of them presumably are going to be VAT registered either, are they? No, they're not. And this is this is one of the other issues as well. We don't have um, a level playing field. We do need our industry to be tidied up, um, if I can say that. But the reason is, the reason we're actually in this situation is because you know, we don't, everybody's not that registered. And because there's so few that are in our industry, something like, um, you know, I think it's something like 22,000. Um, the problem is that that means that, you know, these are the salons that are that registered that do employ. Mm. So as soon as they open their doors, they're at a 33% disadvantage to any other operator. Not just that, but they are struggling beyond belief to keep 
to keep paying the bills. Um, we've had some serious mental health issues in our industry because of this. We've had suicide. We've had everything. Um, and I think, you know, whilst I very much appreciate what the Chancellor has done, it's, it's, it's not, it's disproportionate because, you know, like I said, you know, the whole kind of roadmap and the whole reopening tends to stem around hospitality, which I understand because they obviously, you know, um, have a lot of tax duty on beer, etc. However, our industry is a massive contributor to GDP. Um, we're absolutely paramount to the welfare of the public. We're the people that people are going to hold up our high street, basically. Nobody else is left on the high streets but cafes, salons and charity shops, let's be honest. Um, so, you know, that 5% VAT cut, or down to 5%, should I say, would mean that people can actually potentially pay their national insurance contributions and pensions. Um, and this is what people are doing. This is not something that they're going to get. It's going to kind of, you know, um, give them some form of, you know, income. It's not. It's just going to help them ease to pay the bills that they're out, got outstanding. Plus, you know, only, I think it's 42% of our industry could get bounced back loans. Um, and I think 6% of our industry got C-bills. Mm-hmm. So that tell, shows you that whilst there's kind of government funding, it falls a long way short. Plus, um, you know, whilst I do appreciate what the Chancellor has done, and a lot of leaders will probably say this in different industries, we have the highest death rate capita in the top three, basically, in the world. Mm. Yet, the financial stimulus package is 5% of GDP. We're one of the lowest of financial stimulus internationally. Um, we're the lowest in Europe, if you actually look at the tables from the IMF. So, we, mm. you know, the government can do a lot more, so they can do this. The legislation is there for them to do it. I just think, I hate to play this card, Scott, but I think it's because we're, you know, female-led. Um, I just think we're kind of, you know, an afterthought, which is awful because, you know, we've got 22,000 apprenticeships at risk right now, which doesn't sound a lot, but that's 22,000 16 to 18-year-olds that will most likely end up on long-term benefits because there's no work for them. So this is what mm. we're trying to salvage, and this, the, the VAT cut would mean that we could actually salvage jobs and businesses because these are, these were before COVID very viable businesses, um, you know, and that would mean that we actually can actually give sustained employment to people in our industry without the VAT cut. The, the apprentices will most def- definitely be potentially first redundancy, um, and then it kind of you know spars from there. A lot of just, just that stress because of lack of government help. Um, because whilst we get furlough, apart from furlough, and a grant of £1,300 a month, if you're lucky, because we're still waiting for grants from last November, Birmingham's pretty much the worst area for it. Um, you know, And even Westminster, we've still got salons waiting for grants from last year. And then we've got landlords breathing down the neck for rent. So the difficult thing is, this cut is not something we're asking for. It's something that we absolutely have to have. Otherwise, many, many businesses won't survive. Some of the statistics that you shared there, Colette, are absolutely staggering. And we established there quite quickly that the vision is going to be a very bleak one if the VAT cut doesn't happen. We'll yeah. get on to progress on the campaign trail very shortly. But just before then, um, I would like to talk about what you discussed a little bit earlier on, which was the impact that this has all had on the mental health of people working within the industry. As an industry leader, how has it been actually managing the mental health of other people working in the sector over this last few months? Do you know what? I'm going to be really candid and really open on this one. It's absolutely soul-destroying. Um, I'm helping about 5,000 Solomons at the moment just navigate areas that they're not used to. Um, it's I've had, I can't tell you how many phone calls I have of people who've hit rock bottom and they can't see a way out. I've had to talk people down from doing something really silly and that absolutely breaks you. It breaks you. Um, People, when I say the mental health is at the lowest, I can't go anywhere with it. And then when they're asking you for support, you can obviously talk to them and offer help with mental health. But the problem is their main issue is the financial impact it's having on them. We've got people who've lost their houses, marriages that have broken up, um, people that have not just lost their business, but lost everything, Um, you know, and 
we've even had, you know, some awful situations in our industry of people, you know, taking their own lives purely because of this pressure. Um, so, and I don't think that will go away. And I think it's a long-term thing mm. because we're, the problem is our industry, we as hairdressers and beauty therapists and everything, we're very, very giving. We're very caring. Um, you know, we, we're kind of the givers in life. So we've had that element taken away from us. So to know that, that they can't actually go back to that, we've got many who have had to or have taken second jobs. We've got salon owners who are working as cleaners and everything else because they want to do their part for the NHS and they're working in different areas in order to pay their national insurance bills and VAT bills. They're not working in these industries or separately to um, pay their own bills. They're doing it because they can't get out. They've got to pay the VAT. And this is what's really difficult. So they see this massive wall about to hit, and this wall's going to hit them April as well with furlough. It's been not extended. Mm. If furlough's not extended, most most businesses will fail in this country. Um, and I don't, you know, whoever those businesses are, they will fail. But as a leader, and as somebody who's trying to lead the way, it's it's, it's soul destroying. It's absolutely. I don't, I'm not going. I'm not afraid to say I will come off the phone sometimes, and I'm absolutely in bits myself because of the conversations I've just had. That somebody wants to leave the children behind because we have issues with the insurance not paying either. Um, so whilst we have the Supreme Court test case, this has caused massive problems with mental health. The Supreme Court said, "Yeah, you know, business instruction insurance has got to pay out. They're not paying out, Scott. They're delaying until they get to the 22nd of March because then nobody's got a claim." And I've got people saying to me, well, if I actually do this, I've got life insurance. So my family, I won't lose my family home. Um, my response to that is, but they'll probably get out of paying that as well. But these are the choices that people are having to make. They're not making choices about putting food on the table right now. That's probably, you know, that's, a, that's obviously a major concern to them. Their priority right now is keeping everything, you know, um, basically staying, staying, afloat um we've had a lot of bankruptcies a lot of insolvencies and we've had large companies going under because the you know the the, the bills they're facing are, they just cannot physically meet them um we've had parents remortgaging their houses for sole owners the, the list goes on so if you imagine the rug being pulled from under you you cannot mm. earn money it's illegal for you to go out and actually earn money then you get okay, your employees are looked after, so you get furlough. Great, that's amazing. And without that lifeline, nobody would be trading, quite frankly. No small business would be able to. Um, but then what happens is you, you say, well, I tell you what, you either bowl your way out of this or go bankrupt. So you you know get a bounce back loan if you can, if you can, and that's a massive if, or a C-bills if you've got, you know, because whilst the government say it's not um, it's guaranteed by them and there's no kind of director guarantee, a lot of these financial institutions are still looking for that. So, you know, you've got no way out of it unless you're viable. When I say viable, you've got to be heavily profitable to actually get any funding previous to this. Um, and a lot of people in our industry aren't because they work one month to the next. Their cash flow is very mm. tight because of, you know, <laughs> the space the situation we have. And the reason it's very tight is even though we were, I think out of this year, we've traded five months out of 12. Even the five months we were trading, salons were still 30 to 40% down because of all this like, kind of measures we had to put in place. Um, so it, it's a very long answer to your question, Scott, mm. but I just want people to understand the gravity of the pressure. You can't work, your hands are tied behind your back, literally, and the walls are at the door, and they really are at the door. And it's not just walls with regards to suppliers. Suppliers, you know, it's the landlord, it's the... It's the electricity companies, it's the water companies, it's the music license companies, the insurers are still insisting on payment, and some have put premiums up by 300% part, and some are refusing to insure businesses if they've got an open claim for business interruption, and that's happening a hell of a lot. Um, and then on top of all that, HMRC, you can defer payments and everything, but if you've got any previous history of not being able to pay, you can't. And they're sending letters out from debt mm. recovery agencies. So it's really difficult to get that message out there. So if you put all that into your inbox as a salon owner and you've got all this landing on your doormat in the morning, who do you pay first? What do you do? It, it, it's kind of almost, most like, you know, like 
like rabbit, you know, rabbit in headlights. Um, don't know where to turn. Um, you know, we, we signpost people to Samaritans. We signpost them everywhere. Um, but as they say to the leaders in our industry, but they don't understand, we can't work. We can't do anything. Mm. And this is the difficulty. A lot of applied for jobs. A hell of a lot of people have applied for jobs outside the industry, but there's, there's no jobs, you know. And that's what's interesting about, you know, the government's kind of element with, you know, just retrain. Well, people have actually filled out the government um, kind of, you know, criterion questionnaire for retraining. It tells people to either, A, go and be a chemical engineer or something completely different when they've actually mm-hmm. trained their entire life for this. Um, so we're not just taking away somebody's income. We're taking away somebody's heart and soul with this. And it really is because these people are, they really do care. And when I say care, it's unbelievable. Um, so... I don't think we're, I think this is going to be a very long-term mental health problem in our sector because of the pressures we've been put under. Because we just, mm. everybody just feels so unfairly treated. Because we see, in the most awful way, we can still get a takeout from our pub. You can still go and generate revenue. We can't generate anything. Mm. Exactly right. Saying. Your hands are completely tied in that sense. Yeah. And just for the benefit of those tuning into this as well, we are recording this podcast on the 18th of February just to contextualise that furlough cliff edge that you were talking about. So we're yet to hear Rishi Sunak's March budget. We're yet to hear whether the furlough scheme will be extended beyond April. So that's something to keep a very, very close eye on over yeah. the next uh, few weeks for sure. And staggeringly you mentioned there as well that this isn't the first thing the chop the back campaign that you've had to campaign for you've had to actively be involved your group um to try and just get the business interruption covered that you actually had paid for with the insurers because they weren't paying out for the first lockdown last year and even now some are still trying to avoid it they're not trying to avoid it scott they're avoiding it at all costs um this is where it gets i've actually got another campaign to get the insurers and brokers in front of a select committee. There needs to be a public inquiry here. The conduct of the short insurers right now is is bordering on criminal. It really is as unethical as it gets. I've got salon owners that have had floods or been broken into. And because they've already been interrupted by coronavirus, they won't pay out. And they and legitimate claims that are actually captured by the Supreme Court test case, they're now interpreting the words even further. So can you imagine being a salon owner and you think the only lifeline I've got is this insurance I've, and then they have to, I still have to pay £2,000 a month insurance despite not being paid out. Mm. Um, I've just had a requote and mine has gone up from um, I think it's 22000 a year to twenty nine. But if you don't continue to pay your insurance, you're not insured. So they've got you absolutely in a tight corner. Um, then if you actually have a business interruption claim, they're basically told no. You've not got a claim. They're writing to people with such legal jargon that they don't understand um, that, you know, they're fighting to death, you know. And then what happens is they've got to then engage lawyers and have the cost of that to actually mm. pursue them. Um, and there's a massive cliff edge arriving with that as well because the insurers are basically, we had a whistleblower in the insurance industry when we first campaigned to get this to the FCA. Um, and I think the FCA have done an amazing job in getting them to court. But hold on a second, where are regulators? Where are our government? The French government actually forced the insurers to pay on all business interruption policies, despite wording. Our government have sat idle on this. Um, and the sceptic in me says, is it because they get a lot of sponsorship, Conservative Party from insurers? Um, you know, we all know, we all know basically that even everybody in the British public, and I hope some insurers are listening to this, but everybody in the British public knows the moment you have an accident, the moment you are our house is burgled, you've got to negotiate with insurers what they'll pay, and they're always putting you back down to, you know what I mean, the bare minimum. But you've paid for these policies, and mm. this personally, I feel, and I don't think I'm on my own with the British public here, this is scandalous. It's no different to the banking crisis in 2008. No different to that. But they're being allowed to get away with it, and this is what's wrong. The other thing with that as well... It is like me going out, having a car accident, and this is exactly what's happened on business interruption, by the way. I go out, I have a car accident, and I put a claim in because I've hit a car. And I say, what colour car did you hit? And I go, and I say, blue. They say, oh, no, we don't cover blue cars. This is exactly what's happened. 
Now, pandemics weren't excluded from their policies, but because they didn't include certain diseases that weren't yet registered, this is what they're relying on. They're now relying on, and this is where the French government stepped in and said, I don't think so. This is just, you know, payout. Because if you think about this, if the insurance did what they're obliged to do contractually, then what would happen is businesses would be able to continue operating. We wouldn't be claiming furlough because some of us have gross income. So the, the, the actual relief on the HMRC or the Crown would be expensive, okay? And also, it's worth saying that um, a, lot, a lot of these policies as well rely on damage. But they say damage. Now, damage doesn't have to be physical for you to have loss of function. Mm. And we've got loss of function. You know, the last one my insurer said to me, and this is why we've got people actually going to trade in salons and then the police have to go in. Because the insurers tell them, unless the police are physically stopping you going in your salon, you can trade. In respect to what the government say, you can trade. Nobody's stopping you trading. It's just not true. No. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? So what what are these people supposed to do? They say, well, you can you can trade, but if you don't pay your insurance of £2,000 by next Wednesday, you're not insured anyway. Westminster. And this is the situation they're in. Mm. I think the message here is, Westminster, are you listening? You have to make these insurers pay out, otherwise businesses are going to fail. That's the be-all and end-all of this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And not just fail, but I personally think I've got, we've got probably 16,000 people at the moment saying to us, what is the point in having insurance? Now, we're going to end up in a situation where people, frankly, right now, don't trust insurers. I've got guys that, I've even got salon owners that have lost partners. And the insurers are actually questioning their life policies because did they die from COVID or didn't they? And this is the reality of the situation. And unless the UK government and Westminster actually get up and bring these insurers to heel properly because of their conduct. Um, so, you know, okay, we've had the wording tested in court, but we, it was very, very selective, very selective, you know, and not just that, it, you know, business, in, it's like if I said to you, you can't work, you've got to stop working now. That is interruption of your business. Irrespective of, you know, the cause, you, if you pay for business interruption, then it should be paid out. Um, you know, similar to if you have a flood in your house, it should be paid out. But this is the difficulty now. They are getting away with absolute, I believe, evasion. It is evasion. Um, and as an accountant myself, I understand the implications of evasion. Um, but the insurers are actually acting no differently. And that's a very strong word to use because I can't avoid my obligations to the taxman. But if I was an insurer, I could actually avoid my contractual obligations just by interpreting the word as much as I possibly can and delaying it till the notification anniversary of the 22nd of March. And that's what they're doing. The waiting, the whistleblower actually said the um, remit from insurers was to delay as long as possible so that people went insolvent because they're insolvent, they haven't got the claim. It's incredible, isn't it? And for mm -hmm. salon owners who are in this very situation, um, I would certainly urge all of them not just to get in touch with us at the Leaders' Council, but also the Salon Owners United group, which, Colette, of course, you are part of, the British Beauty Council as well, and also the hashtag Chop the VAT campaign, if yeah, you haven't save already. The Save Our Salons website, so we've got the, the, the campaign we're running. We've run, to be honest, we've run like right, run campaigns since last March. We sent in 141,000 signatures to Downing Street back in August last year. No reply. That's 141,000 signatures. No reply. Um, that gives us the right to have this debated in, mm. in government. No reply. Um, and the reply we actually got, to be honest, from, from, from Westminster, um, and we have the video proof, is for Boris Johnson and MPs to mock our industry in Parliament and laugh at us. And they literally did snigger and laugh. Um, now, that to me is just down, it's disgraceful. And I think the moment Boris Johnson did that and his ministers was the moment they lost every female vote. And I don't think they realise what's coming, you know, because ultimately people will have to answer. And I think whilst the government have been amazing, and I think they've been, you know, in a lot of ways, they've been incredibly supportive of businesses, they've certainly not been supportive of our industry at all. 
Now, we talked, um, I'm sorry to just cut you off slightly there, uh, Colette. Um, You mentioned earlier on as well about the fact that 22,000, I think it was, apprenticeships in the sector are now at risk as well. So the legacy of COVID-19, should the industry actually get through this? It's not just confined to the present and businesses failing in the here and now. It's going to have a negative impact on people perhaps being able to access the personal care sector in future as well. And it might even put some off trying to get into it. Yeah, it will definitely. I mean, you know, the difficult thing is, and I think this is to the British public as well, you know, the people that we see every day, um, you know, the people that we sit and chat to and, you know, these are your children. These are your, our future generations that will not be able to enter this industry because no salon will be there for them to actually work in. We'll have an underground industry. We've got people working out there right now who haven't done any official training, okay? And this is another problem. We're not regulated, Scott, so don't start shouting in surprise because people out there think that our industry is regulated. It is not regulated at all. I can, be, I can have any profession one day and the next day come to your house and cut your hair or use chemicals on you. Okay, Um, so we're trying to get regulation as well. But the problem is, you're quite right. The future generations of our sector will not have positions. Um, I've had 17 CVs for my salon from year 11 who really want to get into the industry, are very passionate. And I know if I had, we had the VAT cut or my insurance paid out, I could offer them a job tomorrow. But because of this situation, we can't. So this is going to be have a long-term impact. I think the personal care sector um, will basically be suffering. It will take them at least three to five years to actually return from this. And that will mean that there will be not the amount of apprentices that we normally take, which is about 26, 27,000 a year. It's awful, isn't it? And mm-hmm. thinking about what the industry has had to go through, just on a slightly more positive slant now, Yeah, having gone through all of this, trying to make the industry as resilient as possible, lobbying for the support that you need. What have these last 12 months taught you about not just yourself, but also your own business and also the wider personal care sector? Because I can imagine it's been incredibly encouraging to see the determination that you all have. Yeah, I mean, there's some really, look, let's not forget, there's been some, there's always silver lining, Scott, and I'm, I'm a true believer of, you know, half, like half full and not half empty. And what's happened in this crisis Let's call it that because that's not exactly what it is. Salon owners have come together. Our industry is talking. Um, you know, we've we've made massive progress with certain areas, um, and you know, there's a lot of positivity. We have a lot of, you know, we have a lot of love to give. So we're helping each other, like myself, you know, and everybody else. I've got a pan. We've got a panel on our Salon News United, and we we spend. I don't think I've had a day off or a night off apart from. I'm still recovering from COVID, by the way. Um, so, you know, we kind of, we're there for each other. Um, we've got a massive support community. And do you know what? I don't think anybody, because our businesses, livelihoods and future of our industry that we care passionately about depends upon this, or the survival, we're not going to give up. But we've also been making sure that we keep it relative to what we do. For instance, I mean, you know, we, we do with the support of L'Oreal Professional, who are amazing, we've been sending in care packs to NHS staff for the last year. So we're sending them in little kind of gift bags with shampoos and stuff in, just to say, look, we might not be able to physically help you, but we still care about you. Mm. So we're still doing our bit for our community, despite what's happening. We've got salon owners ringing around all the clients, making sure they're okay. We did like Valentine drop-offs to our clients on, in, on Valentine's Day. So... I don't think people realise this momentum, the, the actual amount of care and love we have in this industry for, for, for the public and our, you know, our friends and families, we call them, you know, won't, won't actually stop. So we will be there for everybody when we get back. Okay, there's not going to be most definitely as many salons around and there's certainly not going to be the qualified salons around, um, you know, and I think people just need to remember that you know, we're there for them. But most importantly, through this crisis, one thing is shown is our dog determination to fight for what's right. We're not fighting for what, what we want. We're fighting for what's fair. And I think that's the problem. We, we see such an injustice with insurers, with the back cuts. There's such an injustice. Um, you know, there's such an injustice with, you know, different devolved governments getting different amounts. If you're a mobile 
working in, you know, Scotland or whatever it is, you can get a grant. If you're in England, you can't get anything. Mm. So we've got real disproportionate, favourable terms being given to different in different areas. And that's all we want, but we're not going to give up Scott. We're really not. Boris Johnson, the message to you from the industry is give it the resources to survive and thrive. Do not let it die. Because even if the sector does get through COVID-19 and we get to a point where it is no longer an immediate and present danger, this virus, it is likely, as you say, to take some time to mount a recovery. You said three to five years. One of the driving forces behind that as well is the fact that with all of the anxiety that COVID is bound to cause, it's going to take some time as well for even something as simple as consumer confidence to return and for people Mm -hmm. to be wanting to leave the house and go into salons again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, to stay on that, as far as the public's concerned, I mean, you know, even when we go back to our salon, which hopefully we'll be able to, um, we work at two metre distance. Believe me, the amount of training we go through to make sure that that environment is clean and safe is on a medical basis. So anybody in the public, if you actually do want the conference to go to a salon, then go and check. Ask them. You know, before people come to our salon, to give you an idea, we vet them before they come in. So we find out if they've been ill or anybody in the house has been ill. They're not allowed in if they have. We do certain checks and measurements before they actually enter the premises. And when they come in, they actually have a service with one person. Okay, and that person's already been checked. Okay, so their stylist's already been checked and observed as well. And then what happens is they don't actually cross with anybody else in the salon. And everything's sanitised in between, upside down. It's, it's unbelievable. We have to put in, we put in buffers around every single appointment so that everything's sanitised and cleaned down. Mm. Um, I mean, ours is probably a bit extreme because my husband works in vaccine manufacturing and I previously worked in, you know, um, pharmaceuticals, so we, we know the kind of clean room process. But what I'm saying is salons are safe. They really are. And I think, you know, people do need to know they can go to a safe zone. And I think, you know, knowing that, you know, we do actually have full PPE on and everything else, um, but don't forget, this is not something we've done because of COVID. This is part of our basic training. So we have to do lots of health and safety with that. Um, and it's the beauty industry particularly, you know, everything they do is done with safety as a first mind, first kind of port of call. Um, you know, we observe everything, to put it bluntly. We're at the same kind of level of cleanliness as dentists. Mm. So... You know, and if you do go to a salon and they're not, you don't think they're safe or clean, then don't go there. And that sounds a bit awful of me, but you know, we have majority, ninety-nine percent of the salons that you see out there will be, and I can tell you now, they will be there at their salon late at night, doing their post sanitizations. They'll have people in between cleaning things down. They'll be wearing gloves. They'll be doing everything possible. And I think it's important to say that because it was on the news last night, Scott that there's been such an unprecedented amount of anaphylactic reactions and for people actually getting poorly and burning the hair and scalps and everything. Mm. So, you know, these we, we needed, um, you know, and we just want to be able to do what we do best and lift people up from this awful situation. And anybody that enters the salon and has that lovely experience of coming in, having a good old chin wag with your stylist or therapist, having a really nice relaxing, you know, massage and everything else, you'll know yourself that that will lift you up. There are things to look forward to. But please, we need everybody to help us make sure that those salons are there for you to go to. Because otherwise you'll end up with people coming to your house and everything else has never even trained. So we need regulation as well, desperately. Mm. Because we've got non-medics injecting and all kinds of stuff. Um, And the public aren't aware of this. So, you know, I'll be honest, I was shocked when I first entered the industry 10 years ago, um, I retrained to be a hairdresser at 40 because um, my son was in memory of my mum we were lost to, to breast cancer. Um, and the thing is, I was even shocked then. What do you mean it's not regulated? What do you mean anybody can put any chemical on you? Um, it's just shocking. We have box colours in supermarkets with 12% peroxide in, which if you've got in your eye, you're going to have serious problems. So this is what I'm saying. The industry needs more than just financial help it needs help to regulate and and everything possible um the list is endless but i think the most important thing any salons out there or salon owners listening if you go to save our save our salon 
home state now. If you go to Founders United on Facebook or find me mm. and I'll send you the links to Save Our Salons, which is the campaign where you can write your MP. Any clients listening out there, please, please help us. Um, you know, we, we desperately need your help. Um, and if Westminster's listening, and in particular if Mr Sunak or HM Treasury or Boris Johnson's listening, please, can I have a meeting with you? Please send me somebody to talk to because you're talking to people in our industry who don't actually work in the industry. And this is where it's got to stop. You need to be talking to real businesses now and your real businesses are your salon owners. So, you know, we need people to talk to us. Um, so I'd say anybody in Westminster to get hold of the Hair and Barber Council, British Future Council, um, Salon is United, Babtac, you know, but the problem is we've got, this is the other problem, Scott, we've got 17 represented bodies. We haven't got one regulator. Mm. So they all give different messages. <laughs> so Salon is very confused. That's why we started to kind of, you know, put the white noise, so to speak. Um, but I would really, really welcome desperately a meeting as one of our industry leaders with HM Treasury immediately. We've been asking for a meeting for a year, nothing yet. It's absolutely staggering that you're having to fight so much just even for a response. And just going back to um, what we were talking about just now there, um, thinking about the post-COVID world now, there are a lot of features of this lockdown period that are going to become permanent fixtures by the sounds of it in the industry in the future. It looks as if voluntary restrictions, so maybe there'll be social distancing in place, maybe there'll be a little bit of PP to say standard sanitising stations as well within salons is going to be a permanent thing. Um, the legacy of COVID is going to leave a real, real mark on the industry, isn't it? There's going to be a lot from this lockdown that's going to be persisting throughout the uh, the next few months and even years by the sounds of things. Absolutely, Scott, and you, you couldn't be more right. I mean, look, you know, salons have had to completely not, we've not changed the way we work. As I said before, it's part of our actual official training. But what we had to do is adapt our businesses, working at two metres. I know they say one metre plus, but we've always worked at two metres to make sure we've got the best safe distance possible. And that itself brings restrictions. So this is why it will take such a long time for salons to basically, they'll be struggling just to make ends meet every month or every year. They'll have massive losses, even if they're trading. Even if they look busy, they're not busy because they're never going to return to the previous kind of models they had. Um, and, you know, this is where it's going to get really, really tricky for people. So, you know, this is why what we're doing is helping people to underpin the businesses and create a standard in the industry that people can follow. Um, you know, we have, honestly, there's so much that needs to change. Um, but at the same time, let's not forget that salons will continue to do all the safety measures because it's part of our training and it's part of what we do. Um, you will not be entering, if you came to our salon in two years' time, no doubt we'll still have everything in place because we do it anyway. We've always cleaned down in between clients. We've never not you know, cleaned where somebody's sitting and sanitised it in between a client because it's part of our normal practice. What's changed for salons is that they've had to then, obviously, our PPA, our cost of kind of sanitization, cleaning, and PPA has gone through the roof. Mm. Um, because, you know, a lot of PPA companies, what, £4.99 used to buy you 100 gloves. You'll probably go through 300 pairs of gloves a day. They've now gone up to £30 a box. So, this is the other thing the government aren't. You know, there's a lot of um, exploitation, shall I say, of certain things. But these measures will be in place for a long time coming. And I say to that, and this is what breaks it to me. This is the most awful thing. We have a massive campaign um, called Choose Hair, you know, and, you know, when you enter this industry, there's lots of things you can do. We've got an apprentice who originally joined us. There's an amazing young woman called Phoebe. Um, she joined us as an apprentice when we first opened. She's now one of our fellow managers. So there's lots of career, career progression within this industry. And it's just sad that that door will be closed to so many. Because that 15-year-old, that 14-year-old is currently playing with hair all the time and will make the most amazing stylist or beauty therapist, but there'll be no route for them to get into this industry because there'll be no funding. Um, and this is why we need the government to listen. If you currently have an apprentice, Scott, in the industry, mm. you can't apply for the Kickstarter scheme. 
it's only open to multinationals. They've changed it on February the 3rd, so you can actually apply directly for under 30. But if you currently have an apprentice, they'll reject you instantly. And government aid for our industry sick code will reject it immediately. So, you know, when I say it's going to be a rocky ride, it is going to be a rocky ride, but the thing will keep us going. And the thing that will make everybody turn up to work every day and actually probably work at a loss <laughs> still is that person sitting in the chair that they want to make feel better that day. Because that's what drives them. That's what drives us all. Um, but it's just how long people can keep that up. And I think mm. if we don't get support, um, I think the public will be finding it very difficult to find a qualified, reputable salon or hairdresser and therapist anywhere. I think it's incredible that even something as simple as the kickstart scheme is so difficult to access because of the sort of little caveats associated yeah. with it. And mm-hmm. ultimately, as you say, what inspired you to start out within the industry and inspires everybody every day to keep doing what they're doing, albeit we don't know how long they'll be able to do it for, is the client, the one sitting in the chair. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that's what you get up every morning and get out of bed for, isn't it? It's those people in the chair to make their day better and it links back completely to that mental health discussion we had earlier it does yeah and you know what the most amazing thing is because don't forget i mean i mean i'm mine's very much heartfelt with this but when somebody sits in your chair we had this after the first lockdown people were coming and would go right come on tell me how you are and we were all we aren't just hairdressers and beauty therapists and barbers because barbers have a massive part to play in this with male mental health let's not forget that um, the thing is that we're their, we're their confidants, we're their counsellors, we're their one-to-go-to place where they can actually just offload. And it's it's amazing because you take that away and people rely We've got people who came through the last lockdown. They haven't got family here. They haven't got family. We've got people who live alone and are totally isolated. You know, um, we have a group on Facebook for our clients where we all come on and tell jokes and it's a COVID-free zone. So, you know, um, it's science the C word kind of thing. But you're quite right. And it's, you know, and I think, uh, you know, absolute credit as well, because the bar- barbering industry is exactly the same. You know, they male, male mental health has been even probably even worse in this industry because there's a sense of failure, even though it's out of your control. Um, so it all comes back to that mental health. It all comes back to that. You know, and that client who's sitting in your chair that could be going through anything in their lives. You know, we have we have domestic, sounds awful, we have clients who are victims of domestic violence and we're the only appointment they're allowed to go to. And that might sound a bit extreme, but now that's been closed to them. You know, they can come and spend an hour or two with us and it's their, their little time to get away from it. So, you know, we have ladies who are suffering from everything you can imagine. Not, not just ladies, but gents too. You know, um, executives who are majorly stressed. You know, we have a lot of NHS, hell of a lot of NHS, because of the work we do with them, as does the entire industry. And, you know, for one of the nurses to come in after a 12-hour shift and to come in and just actually have a bit of relaxation and a bit of downtime for them. And everybody will know out there, you know, ladies particularly will know, if, if if your hair feels nice and fresh and you've got your face paint on, you feel like you can tackle the world, but take that away. And it's very difficult to open your front door sometimes. So I think it's incredibly important for mental health. Thought. It is hugely. And this might seem a little bit of a tricky question, but if you could, armed with all of the knowledge you've got now through this crisis, if you could go back 10 years to when you first started out in the industry, knowing exactly what was coming now, is there anything that you would do differently? And indeed, would you still think that this was the industry that you wanted to go into? Looking back, and to be completely honest, I came into this industry for emotive reasons. If I came into this industry for financial gain, I wouldn't have entered it. Because, to be honest, if you actually, this is another thing, you know, people will question the cost of a haircut or a colour or, or, or a barber to cut the hair or a beautician to do the nails. I don't think people really realise that this industry has not actually um, put their prices <laughs> where they should be for probably 15, 20 years. And the reason that is is because there's so many unqualified people working in the industry. So had I known what I know about the industry now, 
no. Having been in the industry and falling in love with it, I could never change that now. It's almost like becoming a mum. Do you know what I mean? It's a labour of love, isn't it? Mm. Um, so, no, I, I don't think I'd change it. I just wish I could go in and make more people listen because we do have an incredibly fragmented and lack of leadership in our industry, if I'm going to be honest, Scott. We don't have true leadership in our industry. We really don't. And that is incredibly sad because it could be done so well. Um, we have leaders who are very good um, and who are very, very passionate about the industry. Um, but, you know, it's almost like a horse race. It's not about one one voice, and that's what we're trying to actually change. That's the one thing that needs to change in this industry is that there's one regulator and one voice. If it doesn't, the industry's got no chance of survival. Not properly. So the industry needs regulation. That is a huge, huge call from the sector. And just because our time on the programme together is now beginning to draw to its closer, Colette, just before we do wrap things up, I know we don't have a crystal ball at the moment, and I know the situation from what we've established is bleak if things don't change. But as things are at the moment, for you, for your business here then, and for the wider sector, what do you think the next 12 months has in store? I think the next 12 months have in store. Um, well, the first thing is, you know, safety is life, life preservation and safety is always the first thing. Um, but over and above that, I think it has in store a lot of business closures, a lot of people losing their jobs, um, a lot of people working um, underground. And I say underground as in not declaring any revenue or tax. So HMRC will lose out massively on any. Um, kind of, you know, crown revenue. Um, I think if it's not actually brought into line very quickly, then it's going to be incredibly painful. If it's brought into line and we have one body, one voice, one regulator, and actually who talks and the government listen, and I mean listen properly to the people that work in this industry day to day, and the ones paying the tax bills, by the way, the one who actually are actually conforming, um, then I think that rocky road, I call it the corona coast that's got. And it's just how many dips are we going to have? Um, I think if we actually, you know, take the next 12 months on face value, if we do nothing, it's going to be horrendous. It's, it's, it's going to be horrendous. Um, if we do something, we may be able to salvage some of it. I don't think for one moment that the people who are representing our industry are telling the government like it truly is. I think they're saying we're viable with this, with that. We're not viable, not anymore. We are definitely not viable industry not right now we have nothing so it you know i just think it's going to be some very dark days and the light's going to shine through for those that you know do follow and do actually do what they need to do um i wish i had a crystal ball i really do but you know what i'd just say to people is you know you've just got to take it one day at a time haven't you but again i'd just say please that crystal ball that we're all trying to find and that even Boris Johnson's probably sitting there at night going, oh, my God, I wish I had a time machine. Um, but at the same time, then please talk to us. You know, because I think the key thing with government is they forget. We are not the problem. Yes, we're campaigning for back cuts and save our salons and everything else. But we are part of your solution. Because if you don't listen to us and you don't help the people that create jobs and employ people, your DWP bill is just going to go through the roof and there'll be no jobs and I think we'll enter a decade like I mean I'm old enough to remember the miners strike <laughs> um, I don't think it'll be dissimilar to that mm. I really don't so I think we'll have you know if you look at coal mining it's been eradicated hasn't it it's gone mm. so it's a similar kind of thing our industry will be decimated you won't it'll be very very we'll have a skill shortage that's huge um, I mean now there's people doing courses online doing 20 hours of training on an online course and then going out and taking incredibly sharp scissors to people and I think people don't understand how difficult and how skilled this industry is you know the people that say oh you know, just a hairdresser or just a therapist or just a barber you know believe me I've retrained to do this at 40 and I was shocked how hard it is you know it's A-level chemistry it's really difficult it's not that easy so I think you know, I think the next 12 months are going to be very difficult, but I think if the public stand by us, which I'm hoping they will, it will be a little bit easier. But not everybody will survive, and that's a sad thing.
the message there, get behind the industry and Westminster, if you are listening, listen to what the sector has to say. Um, Colette, I have to say, it's been a real, real pleasure and an incredibly eye-opening experience welcoming you onto the programme. And I must confess, it would be a real pleasure to actually welcome you back onto the show, if possible, at some point in the next few months, just to catch up on how that campaign trail is getting along and to see if that support that the sector so desperately needs is being provided and what sort of direction we're heading in. And let us hope, as you say there, that we do start seeing some light at the end of the tunnel sooner rather than later, because the sector, frankly, needs that. It does. Thank you so much, Scott, for having me. And thank you for everybody who's listening to this. Um, and I'll just say again, Westminster, if you don't listen, you're going to have 370,000 barbers, hairdressers and beauticians land on your doorstep as soon as this is over. So I suggest you do. Absolutely. And just to reiterate what we said earlier, you can find out more about the hashtag Chop the Vat campaign at BritishBreedyCouncil.com hash um, forward slash Chop the Vat, but also visit SaveOurSalons.co.uk. I believe that's the right one, isn't it, Kelly? That's the right one, yes, yes. And Salon Owners United, you can just find it on Facebook or find me. Any salon owners that are out there feeling, like I said earlier, you're not alone. Please just come and, you know, we've got 5,000 of us, actually 11,000, including other groups, all helping each other and we can help you too, so you're not alone. Absolutely. Mental health is at a very downward spiral at the moment please do reach out please do get involved and also another word for those listeners tuning in as well please do continue to look after yourselves be considerate of others and stay home where you can as well because it does make a real real difference in saving lives during this time extremely powerful stuff there indeed and emotive from Colette Osborne owner director of Hair Then Salon Group I do hope all of you thoroughly enjoyed listening to the interview today um, until next time since sadly all of the pubs and the wider hospitality establishments remain closed I'll be sat in my front room and raising a glass to outstanding leadership and hopefully I can reoccupy my usual corner in the Westminster Arms soon although not after I've popped into my nearest hair salon for a haircut because the sector so desperately needs all of the support that it can get at this time remember to all of those tuning in today please stay home where you can be considerate of and protect others and save lives take care and goodbye